1: This podcast is recorded on Noongar land. We'd like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land and extend that respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander and their elders who are listening today. We respect their spiritual relationship with their country.
2: Have you ever wondered exactly what it is that that married man found so appealing about paying for it? Or watched the murder doco and thought, how can that monster's mother still love him? Welcome to To Be Frank, the show that invites you to step inside the world of Constance Hall as she explores the most interesting topics and people from all over the world with no BS, no filter. Now your host, Constance Hall and co-host, Claudia McLeod.
1: Hello and welcome to To Be Frank with me and Claude Con. Hello. Hello, Claude. How are you? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. That's good. It's good. It's
0: cold. It's cold in Perth. Apart from that.
1: Life I is good. Been, yeah, life is good. Apart from the fact that we've done a deep dive of a trending podcast and that podcast is extraordinarily heartbreaking. It's Hannah's story. I'm sure you've all heard of it. It's um, mm. been charting for a while now. The case happened a couple of years ago, a few years ago, but it's all been brought back up with this podcast, which I think is important, even though Absolutely my mum said she can't listen to it. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. can't listen to it. The for those of you that aren't from Australia that don't know what the podcast is about, it's about Australia's most horrific, well, potentially Australia's most horrific domestic violent um, cases in recent history. Discussing man whose name we're not going to mention took the life of his ex-partner and his three children in a car that he set on fire. It's really um, not only as a, you know, shocking, but it's shined a light on to me and Claudia about what is going on in today with all of this toxic masculinity that leads to this behavior that men, a lot of men are not taking responsibility for. A couple of weeks ago, a dear friend of mine, Clementine Ford, shared a few screenshots of a post that had been shared about her and the release of her amazing book, How We Love. Mm -hmm. She's a prolific feminist. She's potentially Australia's most famous feminist, Mm -hmm. and which gains her a lot of hate in the toxic masculinity, the world of the toxic men. So this particular group that um, this post was shared in is called Blokes Advice. Now, Blokes Advice has 270-something thousand members and the Facebook page, as in the group, there's a page and a group. The Facebook page has over 270,000 members in the group. That's a big number. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. And the post that was shared was... A screenshot of her book with a caption that said, love her or hate her. You'd smash her if you were desperate. Some of the comments that were shared in these screenshots, not suitable for kids. If anyone's got kids around, just, just lower the volume for a minute. I hope her assholes tight. I'm making sure it hurts. I'd smash her ass to bring the cunt back down to earth. Oh. It goes on and on. It's just foul. There are hundreds and hundreds. I think there's 500 comments on the post, which has not been deleted.
0: So I feel really naive, comp, because I didn't know that this page existed. I think it's important oh, to, I
1: completely to put important.
0: this out there because it's so toxic. And these men clearly do not have any respect for women, which is part of the problem here. It's its the main issue that we've got. It's actually really, domestic violence.
1: it's really dangerous. It's really dangerous that this um, behaviour is not only allowed to stay by the mm-hmm. admins, but it's also celebrated with hundreds and hundreds of comments and likes.
0: I'm just stumped as to why it's allowed when there's still pictures being taken down of women breastfeeding. I'm, like so, I'm puzzled.
1: It's a crazy world. I don't know if Facebook's algorithms or Facebook's guidelines are looser in private groups because don't forget this post was shared in a private group with 270,000 okay. followers. How private is that? So a lot of the boys in these groups encourage everybody to use troll accounts, hide behind an account. That, oh. Yeah, because a couple of these people didn't. And for example, <laughs> one of these guys, a guy who posted the I'd smash her ass and bring the cunt back down to earth, his name was John Anthony DeRizzo and he has a painting business that is on LinkedIn. Oh
0: Yes, yes, I saw that. Yes, and mm-hmm.
1: um, he actually lives out near you, I think, near maybe near Dianella. Yeah, in northern suburbs. I'm always a southern suburb girl. And we can see why. And so there were links of this guy's business being shared all over the internet from all of the (laughs) people that don't agree with, you know, um, hate speech and rape speech. And they were sharing. And so his business actually got all these one star reviews on Google, (laughs) which was really entertaining to watch. Then you see the bloke's advice page. The boys get their ruffled feathers and they start saying, this is defamation. How is it? I don't understand how it's defamation. I've been sued for defamation before it was dropped. But if something's true, how is it defamation? I don't understand.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's just been outed. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And so these boys are now encouraging each other to share things from troll accounts that don't release their identity at all. My number one rule when dealing with the internet, because after Clementine shared this post, I saw a lot of these accounts coming to, you know, bag the women who were sticking up for Clem and you'd look on these people's pages. Unfortunately, women were engaging with these men and when you look on their pages, they were troll accounts. Number one rule, do not engage if they do not release their identity because you are literally talking to a voice from the sky who's not brave enough to stand by their opinion because they know that what they're saying is horrific. They're still saying it. So it doesn't deserve your time. Mm-mm. It just needs to be hidden. Even on a private scale, you can hide the comment just from you because that's the only way that these guys are making any traction.
0: I will never be the same again after reading some of those comments, honestly. Well,
1: what is really fascinating it's about
0: disturbing. such
1: a disgusting page and such a misogynistic and dangerous shit when we're literally losing a woman a week from, with domestic mm. violence and mm. these, these violent comments, is where it begins a rape culture is so many studies prove that women will not stop dying until rape culture is dismantled yet i don't know if the men are, are intelligent enough to put the two together or if they just simply haven't been raised with enough empathy or compassion for people they don't know i don't personally know what it is but something i do find interesting is their justifications of these behaviors and it is Always one of two things. Everyone else was doing it, so it was Mm -hmm. okay, or Mm -hmm. she deserved it because. And she led me to
0: do this. She made me do this. And
1: there are reasons for trolling Clementine. They continually Mm. bring back some tweets that she made, which were obvious Mm. satire about COVID not killing men fast enough. What these men don't quite (laughs) understand, I know, what they don't quite understand is that privilege doesn't work both ways. Men are not an endangered. Species that are already suffering enough. They are actually, they find it funny when people like Clementine post these things. It's not endangering anyone. What they're doing is they're endangering people's lives. I mean, they're just, they're just just, fucking wrong. I just
0: think they're stupid because they don't get it. (laughs) Let's face it,
1: they're stupid.
0: No emotional intelligence. They don't get it.
1: And I'd like to get some data on where they all live. Because, (laughs) no, I would And I don't want to, like, offend people that live in the same towns as them. But I do find that when I go to certain towns and certain towns where I've lived, there are a bigger majority of people that are happy to, you know, slag, trans people, slag, gay people online with a lot of support. Whereas imagine if you or I did that. Mm. You know, our community would would rip us to pieces for being so horrific. So, yeah, there needs, I don't know what needs to be done, but I'd love to talk to the um, admins of Blokes Advice and find oh, yeah, out. Yeah,
0: that would be interesting. Yeah,
1: so Rob Sutherland mm. is one of them. I'm sure
0: they'd love to come and talk to some couple of feminists.
1: <laughs> well, you never know, you know. Let's give it a go. And I think what really sucks is they're having a group so big full of men and impressionable men by any, by all means because these guys seem to follow each other like sheep. It's such a good opportunity to do something better.
0: They could. They could use it for, you know, spreading some positive messages. Yeah,
1: like treating women how you want to be treated or, you know, stop killing women or stop killing yourselves. <laughs> any of these stop important the hate. messages. Stop yeah. the hate. Yeah, stop threatening to rape chicks in the ass for a start.
0: Yeah.
1: Anyway, this the invitation's out if he wants to talk to us. In the meantime, we have been lucky enough to talk to someone who's not rank. He's lovely. Phil Barker. So a few years ago when I was doing a tour on sort of like modern day relationships and where they go wrong, my husband decided to start studying for the tour and he bought a dick load of books on misogyny and why, on and the men of today. And one of the books that he bought was called The Revolution of Man and I just loved it. He used to read out loud to me. And it was really, I used to, I just thought that it was romantic. It was romantic. Huh? He's reading to me about misogynists and inc- <laughs> incels. <laughs> and I was drifting off to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but I, we have been lucky enough to contact Phil, um, the author of this book, and have a really, really great chat with him. He's a really intelligent guy. He's also super hot, which I'm allowed to say because we don't live. We live in a patriarchal world, so privilege doesn't work both ways. And if I want to sexually harass people at the workplace, I will. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a compliment. It's such a compliment. Exactly. Like he didn't walk away feeling like pressured to root me. Mm. Or the, Plus, root me all the interview men. That, or men, that,
0: men that respect women and aren't afraid to put it out there. Hot. It's so I'm hot. A it's so
1: hot. That's exactly right. He's happily shacked up with a gorgeous woman. So, you know, there was no, it wasn't suggestive. It was more complimentary, <laughs> I think. <laughs> anyway, I hope you enjoy the conversation that we have with Phil and take a lot from it because he's got a lot of advice on things we can do differently, even with our sons. And I know for a fact, raising a son, he's now 11. And I was just saying to Claudia like yesterday that I felt in the last year this slight sort of pull away from me he used to be my little Mm. my little man my little warrior that agreed with everything I said and now his emotions getting a little bit harder to reach and so it is it's really it's awesome to talk to someone who's quite cool as well feels quite cool it's not Mm. he's not Mm. like a geek that you're not going to listen to he's like no he's cool yeah he's influential so yeah enjoy the talk my enjoy let's go Phil let's go Thank you so much for joining us, Phil. I think, do you remember that I've actually wanted to speak to you for ages?
2: I remember that you put a fantastic thing up on Instagram and um, you and your partner were waving my book around and I thought it was brilliant. I think we had a little chat at the time and never really pulled it off, so super glad to be here.
1: It was maybe 2018. When did the book come out?
2: Yeah, early 2019.
1: 2019, we bought the book called The Revolution of Man. Didn't know who Phil Barker was, didn't know anything about the book, but my husband picked it because we were doing a tour. And in that tour, we were talking a lot about misogyny and where men have gone wrong today. And he started reading me excerpts from it because, you know, I'm very skeptical with men writing about men because I'm like, here we go. It's going to have a hint of fucking MRA in it. And it didn't one little bit. And I just wanted more and more from him and I've gone over to read some of it again because the book came out a few years ago for you I didn't want to ask you to do the interview and for you to not feel like it was relevant to you now but I think it's even more relevant for people to read now because the MRA and I mean blokes advice on Facebook has just gone it's getting worse Phil
2: well, I wrote the book just as Me Too was happening, which was extraordinary. Like I was in my garage tapping away when the sky rising for the no vote was in the air. So it was quite a charged time around those sorts of discussions and I was really glad to be part of it. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of appalled to see what's rolled out afterwards because you've got your Andrew Tates of the world that didn't really exist. There was Jordan Peterson happening and I, and I was sort of wanted to be a counter voice to that. But this rabbit hole of video that young guys can go diving down and 11 and 12 and 13-year-olds think it's manly to be wearing (laughs) like a fur coat, smoking a cigar, sitting on a Ferrari with two girls in bikinis beside you. That's what they want. It's a tragic thing to see social media being used in that way.
1: Especially when you know the boys are so influential, It's scary.
2: That's sort of the question, hey, like what's the reason there's such a vacuum of information for young men? And, you know, I I think it's around the idea that, you know, look, I know that if I was... 15 years old, and, so, and I was being told that I was toxic just for being a boy, I'd be like gutted and furious. I know what my, my tender little heart is, and you know, I'm not toxic, I'm lovely. But you know, so, and I would feel really hurt by that, and I would try to find a voice about what masculinity meant. And if there wasn't a lot of strong examples around me, I could be really, and by peers and stuff like that, that's your biggest influence as a boy, I, you know, I, I would be really influenced. See, that's the thing that I think has gone wrong in this whole discourse is there's nothing toxic about being a man. There's nothing toxic about I'm a cis, you know, I'm I'm top of the privilege tree personally. I'm a, a white, cis, hetero male, you know, that's what I am. But I'm toxic. If I adopt a performance of masculinity, if I go, this is what it means to be a man, you know, you've got to be tough, you've got to be strong, you've got to be this, you've got to be that. And it's an impossible ideal for any human being to live up to. But yet young men, they are encouraged to try to do this at the detriment of their softness, their empathy, their compassion, their silliness, their their lightness, their humor, you know, all, all the joy gets crushed out of them by what Tim Winton calls the shithead army, you know, <laughs> that they adopt this cloak. So I just, just want to talk about what it is to try to be a positive man and, and try to discuss what is positive masculinity and what men can bring to this, this discussion. And it's really interesting. I know I have to be super careful, you know, w- walking into this territory of, of what is basically yeah, I suppose it's a, it's a gender discussion and in the moment you open your mouth, you're sort of half the audience is going to tell you that you're wrong.
0: We don't care about that on this podcast.
2: <laughs> no, 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 clearly not. Not all good.
1: Because I actually did want to ask you about the decisions to write the book because I think that's really important and it's very brave. It would kind of be like me writing a book because I think the reason as a feminist woman that I found your book palpable, more than palpable, I found your mm. book awesome, was because you weren't speaking for us as a gender. You know what I mean? No. You were really focused on men and boys and what you yeah. guys can mm. do and what you guys can do differently and, and and calling out the bullshit that so many men are scared to do. I want to know what did you feel any backlash of Oh, I'm um, breaking the bro code? Yeah, that's... <laughs>
2: Now, interesting little story. I had one close friend uh, who, when I was started writing this stuff, he said to me, So, mate, he said, you don't really, you know, and we were executives together back in the day with, with the Packers and stuff and and, and magazines. And, and he said, You don't really mean all this stuff. You're just doing it for an audience and because there's a vacuum there. And I said, like, No, no, bro, I really do. I really do. And I could never really swing him, and it, it didn't put a wedge between us, but we certainly, you know, there was areas of no discussion, which is what happens in a lot of my friendships. But then he matched on Tinder with the Equal Opportunities Commissioner of South Australia, with with whom he's having a happy relationship and has been well-educated, and we've had a lot of great discussions since then. They were in one of those Sydney Morning Herald, The Two of Us things, wow. which is, which is quite interesting. He's, he's a former uh, editor of Playboy back in the day, so, wow. so he, he's... Oh, that's Even fantastic! In his late fifties come full circle. Yeah, no, it's
1: interesting. So you do believe people can be changed?
2: Yeah. Well, my story is is very
0: much Just that hearing it from different. You know, yeah. different voices as well. Yeah. look, my, my story,
2: my background is I'm a New Zealander. I grew up on a sheep farm in the far south of New Zealand. And in, in my book, I was, like you say, you know, there was so much manliness. We had to wear special boots to stomp around in. it. You know, it was freezing cold. It was an old boys school. The only sport to play was rugby union. There was 800 boys at the school. No one was gay, apparently. Oh, no. You know? <laughs> Which is, is you know, the 70s. We were, we were caned. I got away to university, university town really early. And while I was there, I, I, with great audacity, this is how times have changed, right? Do you guys mind sideways stories? No, not at all. (laughs) I remember sitting in my little flat in Dunedin, my little freezing share house, doing my law homework or whatever at university. I was studying to do law. And I wrote a letter to the editor of my local newspaper down home in Invercargill. And I went, dear sir, as you can see by the quality of the writing of this letter, blah, 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 I have been an excellent replacement for your journalists who will obviously need to go on Christmas holidays. He was so taken that I got an interview. And so by the time I'd finished three years of university, I'd worked as a journo, part-time on the holidays, I'd just come and work at the, at the newspaper. Became an accredited journalist at the time, and then dropped out of university. I, I, well, I, I finished my BA, never finished a law degree because the journalism was the writing was just too much fun. I remember it was the week I joined. The week the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded, and we were watching it on a on a small TV in the, in the editor's office. And right at the back of the room, someone just yelled, "Don't touch the red button!" And it was way too close to the actual event. No, <laughs> oh, you're you are evil, these, these, are, these are my, my people. <laughs> so then I, I came to Australia, got into uh, magazines, which I loved. I, I was editor of NW Magazine. I was editor in Chief of Women's Day back in the day. I knew the great great Nene King, which was fabulous. Um, I actually wrote another book called Axed, yeah, who, who Killed Australian Magazines, which is completely different subject back to how this happened. So then I did lots of things and, and was a managing director in publishing and, and at the sort of height of the GFC, I could really see that, that um, things were not going to go well for publishing just because of the internet. And there was not a lot we could do about it. And then I thought, now what would I do in that position? I'd be like, well, I'd sack highly paid mid-level managing directors of stuff like me. <laughs> I was the managing director of the magazine division. So I left and did creative agencies and this is relevant to to a story I'll tell r- later on. I ended up having my own agency. We got embezzled, and I lost heaps of money. And, so when you and say creative
1: real- agency, sorry, just for the people that don't work in the industry, yeah. like me, what exactly is that? Like a talent agent, or what is that?
2: No, no, no. When I I say so, you supply services. You like you might make websites or make oh, videos. Yeah. Um, you, you help clients tell their story from Optus to a you know a tiny startup, depending on what their budget is. It doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. And my agency specifically worked in events, which is another way of telling a, a brand story, if you want to start mm-hmm. you know, talking about that sort of thing. Anyway, we got um, horribly embezzled. The, the money that was taken from us was very quickly offshore, and our, our accountants sort of thought then uh, this is like twenty nearly ten years ago now. Our accountants sort of thought that um, we shouldn't be doing that anymore because uh, we were trading in solvent. And so I sort of absolutely lost lost the farm at that stage in life, which was a really interesting thing to have to happen to me because I had been a I was the managing director of the magazine division at News Corporation, uh, had sort of four hundred staff at one stage I had Company car strutted around in a suit. And in terms of manliness, I, I very much physically embodied the, the sort of dude around town. Now, you know, looking back, you know, with me too and working with so many women, I'm really lucky that there's no stories about me apart from Phil Barker's an idiot. <laughs> you know, that, that's and when I was writing this book uh, my, uh, about positive masculinity, I had to look back mm. through my own past and, and say, well, is there some woman going to put her hand up mm. say, hang on to that Christmas party in 1996, mm. you bastard? (laughs) Um, But I'm glad that I had some good friendships with women back in in, in the publishing days. So then I was writing a column um, for Fairfax called Life on Mars, or for Nine Media, is it now? It's called Life on Mars about men. It was just about bow ties and whiskey and stuff like that. But then I started to see... You know, and I i was you know, in my late 40s, I think then. No, no, early 50s, maybe even. I was starting to see the numbers of male suicide and I was seeing how many women were being killed every year by their male partner in domestic incidents. And it just really started to see that the performance of being a man was a real problem in society. The more you see it, the more you can't unsee it. And then if you you know watch any sort of media for 24 hours, the, the ideas of what is a man, be a man, is just everywhere all around us all the time. And from the moment they're born, you know, our little boys are sort of whacked over the head with a little blue hammer and little girls by a little pink hammer. And I think personally, I'm so such an outlier in this sort of thinking now that I think we'll look back at a hundred years and see how we segregated how the sexes or the genders should behave as really sort of dumb and barbaric and a lot of it. To be, to be really imposed, you know. And you see the physicality of, of women coming up now in women's sports. So even those things that we thought, oh, girls can't do that. You know, there's, there's amazingly cool hardcore stuff <laughs> involving a lot of blood and sweat happening in women's sport now. And that's it's really cool to see, um, you know, without a lot of the dickheadery of male sports. So I think any time I can have a conversation like this and talk about what it is to be a man and, and what men can do, I think is really valuable. I was writing columns about this like gang um, carry on sex in the city. I got asked to write a column, a book of my columns. And so I did that for one publisher. Uh this is the book that became Revolution of Man. And then the owner of the publishing company, she took it home and she was just about it was about to be typeset. Like I actually saw the typeset and she took it home and she had just as it turned out published Mark Latham's cookbook, right? So <laughs> She took it home and read it, and there were a few things uh, in terms of its tone and its, I can't remember what the other thing said, and, and its attitude basically that she really did not like and she wasn't going to publish it. So I said, right, give it back to me. Took a fully edited manuscript, went, right, who's got the most sensible publisher ever? Ah, like a girl. Clem. Yeah, Clementine Ford. Who published Clementine Ford? So, so I look up, I find Clementine Ford publisher. I send her, I send her my most outrageous um, chapter and say, would you consider publishing that? And she became the publisher mm. of this book, which was which was, which is really great. Yeah. yeah. So for a while, I was just a guy with a whole lot of A4 paper, you know.
0: <laughs> so you didn't actually decide to write it. It was the columns that went into it. That's interesting. The book, there's no
2: real columns. Each chapter's not a column or anything like that. It,
0: no, but that's how you came to write it. It wasn't like
2: you know. yeah, yeah. There's the thinking that flowed from stuff that that sort of got nailed down in my head. So it wasn't for me. It wasn't till my late forties or early fifties I really came to see that yeah, we do live in a highly patriarchal society. It's really damaging for men. It's really damaging for women. I was a ambassador for the Stop It At The Start campaign last year, so I don't know if you've seen the little ads. You know, it all starts with respect. Every conversation that you have moves the conversation forward with young people and it, how really important it is to ram the idea into the head that, that every person on the planet deserves equal respect. Because I'm not, not trying to be light about this, but punching someone to death in the kitchen if you respect that person, you're not going to do that. You're going to find another way to solve that problem. But if you have a sense of entitlement, a sense of ownership, if you see that person as an object, it's like kicking a dog. You're an asshole for doing it, but you know, it's my dog. And somehow, men don't do that to other men. I lost it. You know, she made me do it. Well, you lose it to your boss, but you don't murder your boss at work or very rare. It's so true, isn't it? When it happens, it is a man. So, you know, and then I got to thinking, I've got a 24-year-old daughter, Lulu, and, and I'm like, You know, I know if she ever gets murdered by someone who it's going to be already, it's going to be a man.
1: And someone she trusted.
2: Yeah, are all men dangerous to women? Absolutely. And and that is the position that we have to accept and start with in our heads.
0: So after I read your book. So true. I started looking at Jackson Katz. He's done a TED Talk and a lot of similarities between what you're saying and what he says. He started a program. First of all, it was with the Defence Force, but now he goes into schools and has these conversations with young men. And I think that's what needs to happen. People actually going. Australia. Yeah. Is there any sort of program like that out there? Well, there's no real programs,
2: but it's really interesting what they're doing. Um, I ended up for a few days at the King School in Parramatta, and King School is... Probably the most prestigious and the oldest private school in Australia. It's just like this massive, mm, massive mm. park with a stone castle in the middle, and all these boys in, in military uniforms walk out at, <laughs> at lunchtime. And go, oh, I'm going down to canteen. I think I shall have steak and red wine. Like it's extraordinary. <laughs> uh, it is an extraordinary environment. They're incredibly privileged. Um, You know, some of them know it, some of them them not. But what is really interesting is that they understand their exposure as a boys' school to not talking to these kids properly about gender. So I spoke to both the teachers and then I ended up speaking to year 10 boys for hour after hour because they didn't have exams and the year 12s, were doing stuff. Um, So these kids are 16 about Mm. pornography. And they were super interested, right? And it wasn't really backgrounded properly. Like, is this the porn classes, sir? And I'm like, oh, no, it's not. Come in. Ha ha. So, and then there'll be some student teacher down the back, and I'd have these 30 kids who were talking about pornography. What was super interesting is, is their openness to talking about it and their desire to talk about it. And how easy in the room in the room I don't know how long it stuck it was to 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 shift their thinking. So we did this thing, you know, stand up to the line. If you use porn in the last month, the whole class stayed standing there. Stay standing in the last week i well, stay there, stay there, oh, you're kidding, last few days, okay, last day, this wow, morning. okay, they're all, they're all, they're all <laughs> still there, hang <laughs> yeah, on your boys, oh, try the last seven seconds, uh, yeah, hilarious, all right, sit down some pens. You know, like, oh my God, but the way in was, uh, um, and I have to say that they were utterly fascinated, I was like, look, the sexiest relationship, the best sex you will ever have is with a woman who is your equal and your friend, and when you're both laughing your asses off about something, that's where that. That moment is, and if you think it's what you are seeing in pornography, then you're horribly wrong. It's going to make you bad and bad mate. I can absolutely <laughs> tell you it's like learning to drive from watching Fast and the Furious, and that's not my line, that's from well known Australian porn star Angela White, actually. Just <laughs> a whole separate story. No way too much about porn after researching it for a chapter. Oh look! I think it's really, really dangerous for young men, you know. And I think there are victims at the end. And I think it's problematic in a whole lot of ways. And the things it depicts, you know, a lot of them are actually surprised that women have pubic hair. Yeah. They start consuming porn at the age of ten. They've done their ten thousand hours by the time the age they're twenty.
0: Yeah, I think they can just have anal sex straight away. It I don't goes... want,
2: my, yeah, my daughter encountering someone who thinks that anal fisting, slapping, choking, la la la, is fun. Sure, you know, get there if you decide to in a consensual environment where it's all good. But, but <laughs> I think you know.
0: the, ch- the choking side of it, though, is, is, is really yeah. bad when it comes to like DV because some it
1: looks really scary. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Another thing I say to them is I said, okay, sure, you know,
2: some porn, you know, erotic imagery, of course, it has its place in an in erotic life where we are people who are visually stimulated by that stuff. So I said, maybe your porn rule is no one getting hurt, is someone in the room laughing with genuine happiness? If there's joy in that room, if you can find joy in that room, then you stay there and watch that, my young friend, but I guarantee you it's going to be really hard to find. Mm, So so That's the way we talked about that. And so those discussions, you know, that every time they clicked, there was a genuine victim at the end, that those girls, you know, that don't necessarily love it and sort of, you know, Mm. referred them to a a few cases and what what people have actually said. So So that was a really interesting thing.
1: What you said about respect, I've often thought, you know, I've had, people challenge me and say that my views on consent are too confusing and too complicated. And I'm like, well, actually, you can simplify them if you only fuck people you respect. If you're fucking people you don't respect, then that's when all these other horrible things come into it. And I think that is what the Tinder sort of revolution has normalised, sleeping with people that we don't really respect. But but speaking of sex, not just because I like speaking about sex, but (laughs) I... (laughs) (laughs) So to keep going back here, not just because you're an attractive man, Phil, but um, (laughs) I find I have this theory, right? and I know that it's in the academic world, it's already been fleshed out with much more articulation. But when I look at in a certain chapter of your book, the, The Woman Haters, you do talk a lot about the incels. And involuntary, what is it? Cele- celibates. Celibacy. Involuntary
2: celibates. Not yeah. involuntary celebrities.
1: <laughs> there is no such thing. You say in the book that they don't actually, it's not women that they want. They don't yeah. ha- have respect for women. They don't love women. They probably wouldn't even know what to do with a woman <laughs> if they had one. But yeah. it seems to be very almost homosexually driven like there seems to be this really big love and almost sexuality for each other even in the book blokes in the group blokes advice that i hacked into with my male profile Mm. to see what they're talking about they're talking honestly i don't even like repeating what they're saying but they're talking about how bad their ex's girlfriend's vagina smells certain celebrities assholes saying i have a friend at the front it's so gross i mean i look at my husband who just loves pussy and he would never ever talk about my pussy or anyone's pussy like that. He just thinks everything is great. And so yeah. I think what is going on with these incels? Are they repressed? Is there a bit of homosexuality that's repressed?
2: Look, I honestly don't think that. I think it's they really are. And like they've almost they've got a point because society they don't have a point, but I can understand how they get there. That's what I'm trying to say. Society's so hard on young men as well. They fully believe that if they were two centimeters taller, if their leg bones would grow, if their chin was just a bit of angle, they'd be more of a Chad and mm. therefore would attract women. It's very divided up into categories in their heads. And so at the top of the top, top of the chain are these sort of Chads, like really hot dudes, you know, sporty, charismatic, you know, all, all of the things. And then we come down the scale and they just feel they've been tricked by nature. And it's not their fault. And women just won't go near them. And it's got nothing to do that when wearing a great coat and carrying a samurai sword and an axolotl, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so true. It's so yeah, true. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> and so they get really, really angry. And they get incredibly angry at women. And they actually believe, there's a branch of them that believe that women should be legally forced to have sex with them just to share it around and make it make it more utilitarian. It's, oh.
0: it's freaking disgusting. But When you say you can see how they get there, is that because they weren't, they didn't have good role models around them having these positive conversations? Yeah. What's the
2: solution like? There's a very close correlation between these guys and school shooters, you know, it's from Jim Kleebol- and yeah, I yeah. know. Oh, so so they, they are seeing this Andrew Tate stuff online and they are thinking about what their lives should be and then they are seeing what evil, dirty girls are, are, are you know, there'll always be some girl who didn't treat them right, who they loved, who ended up, you know, going out with the footballer and, and you know, she was the cheerleader and I was in love. That That's sort of in their heads what, what's, what's going on. They're, they're missing out because they can't, it's not their fault that they're duds of nature um and so there's a there's a real camaraderie between them and they do hold each other up and talk about it but it spreads like wildfire and any young man who's feeling vulnerable in any moment as all young men do see that shit at the wrong time and then it's on and it's very hard to get them back
1: it almost feels like we need to have these platforms that are you know obviously if these platforms are going to be for the good guys, they're not going to be seen as a cool little corner of the internet that they can hide in. But I do seem to, I do think that you, somebody can make it cool, cool enough for the guys to want to be there and not be ragging out chicks all the time. I just feel like it hasn't been tapped into
2: Mm, yet. mm. No, and and look, it's very difficult to know, you know, and from my other hat on as a marketing person and that's the sort of things I do now, creative writing for creative agencies, like I described before, I still do that. It's really hard to write in a voice that doesn't seem suspicious, that is authentic to them and, and to tell that story in an authentic way. And I think the main thing that we can do, right, as men who see this, so if you see this, You are bound to do something about it because would you choose that for yourself? Absolutely not. Well, if you wouldn't choose it for yourself, why are you letting it go on around you? The first argument is you have some sort of moral, almost ethical obligation to to, to do something. And so what the something you can do is the old cliche, be the change that you want to see. If you keep dash- acting in a consistent yeah. way that shows what you believe, people will come to know you as that guy really quickly. Like I'm totally known as that guy in my in my circle and it's, you know, I, I'm lucky I've grown with sort of, you know, a lot of you know, really lovely people, so it's not really a problem. But the example is like you're at a barbecue, right? All the dudes are gathered around the meat at the barbecue, of course, all the women are somewhere else. And, of course, some guy will, you know, look at, you know, someone's niece or something or say something or well, look at that, eh? You know, I'd love to have a bit of that and so then you've got to be the guy that goes yeah yeah you know what let's maybe not talk about other people like that you know it's just a fun a bit gross frankly moving on and then of course you get policed and the main policing somewhat ironically is that you get called a pussy. Right, so so you oh what the bullshit, you pussy. What's wrong with you? You gay, you know. You get get all that bullshit. So you've got to stand. You just got to go. Yeah, well, that's what I think, man. Anyway, yep. whatever. They say so you've done it. That's what. That's all you can do. But what you do do is open the door for the other three or four guys in that group who actually do feel the same thing. And it's really amazing how quickly. That our friend can end uh-huh. up in, in the freezing colds of Siberia, and how <laughs> um and how how you can turn those tides, and it's as simple yep. as that, and it's as simple mm. as as being that example. But this is how deeply patriarchy is is embedded in us, right? Uh, my my partner's um nephew is three years old, his name's Vinny, Vinny loves trucks and he loves everything, little boy, and I can't help but I I try to keep my language as neutral around him as I can, but I can't help when I'm playing with him and messing around to reinforce that, you know, come on, little buddy, let's get a truck. Come on, mate. Like I just, I use language with him that I wouldn't use Mm. with Mm. a little girl. And I've written a bloody book about it, but I still can't help it. That's how deep in us that it is. Can I read you a little thing? Mm. Please. I've been abused in the street in Sydney for wearing a pink shirt when back in the executive days. I was a a, a little bit rakish, Um, (laughs) but this is from the brochure from 1918 that was sent to the richer areas of Philadelphia from the Earnshaw department store, and it's from the Earnshaw Infants Department, and it said, the generally accepted rule is pink is for the boys and blue for the girls. The reason is that pink being a more decided and stronger color is more suitable for the boy, while blue, which is more delicate and dainty, is prettier for the girl. Wow. Mm-hmm. Pink and blue only only came about in the 40s because marketers realized they could go, oh, shit, we can divide up boys and girls and double and split the market, and that's, that's how that came about, just purely through marketing, nothing cultural, and now, um, you know, you can still be called gay for wearing pink on the street. So how weird is that?
1: Isn't it? I always thought that it was because, you know, they say that like when you get turned on, your lips go pinker. And so well, that,
2: that's, that's something about lipstick. I don't know, but yeah, maybe. Uh, okay, so it's not just
1: the pink and blue. Because, and boys, yeah. and when boys die, their lips go pink and go blue. Yeah. <laughs> and that turns me on. One more thing that I wanted to ask you or two more things. What's your wife like?
2: Well, she's not my wife. She's my partner, uh, and this is what's interesting because, and this is nothing. I was a bit worried about writing this book because she's twenty years younger than me. So I'm fifty-eight; she's thirty-eight. So we have I this. She looks
1: young when I stalked her on Instagram. <laughs> we've got this age gap,
2: but in terms of the quality, the equalness of us in this relationship or well, one I have these are the attitudes that I have and B she's has her own business she's the boss and I'm slightly afraid most <laughs> of the time and so it's all good <laughs> like so then uh, there might be no,
1: an age gap but there's no power gap
2: no that's that's exactly right the only thing the age gap sort of shows us sometimes is is I'll go, what is that song? You know, and, and and don't you know that movie? Which is, which is interesting. All my partners before that have been older than me. It's just, it's just purely about the person, but it's very difficult to argue. It's funny. We knew each other from the ages of 23 and 43, which would have been really weird and creepy, but we, but we knew each other through a work project and that. And she asked me to mentor her. So, so I was her mentor for, for about a few years before anything happened. So we knew each other really well and I remember a moment we were having breakfast or something and we used to meet up for breakfast every few months and she'd ask me work questions and that. And, and I remember saying, it's really weird that one of my best mates is some old dude. And I'm <laughs> like, it's really weird one of my best mates is some chick, so whatever. <laughs> <Now look. laughs> um, and then, then we decided we'll have dinner one night and then Champagne got involved and that was it. <laughs>
1: How wonderful. And does your daughter get on with her? I take it your daughter's from a previous marriage?
2: Their ages are sort of really sort of mm. in between. So she so Jay you know, Jay could be the older sister and that's sort of sort of the relationship. You know, they get on right. you know, they get on really well. Um but you know, my Lulu's twenty four years old, she um, I'm probably going to see her this afternoon. Actually, she lives over the bridge with her boyfriend, and she's very busy doing her degree and working. And you know, it's fabulous to see her. See her happy. You know, she's she's a wonderful kid.
1: Do you think being surrounded by women with a daughter and a partner that you don't that that kind of encouraged this way of thinking with you, or was it more what you were seeing online?
2: It's not for lack of powerful women in my life and and good examples. Or your
0: upbringing, like you know, what was what was your dad like and and mum? Yeah, see, my dad,
2: he's a 83 year old retired Southland farmer, and so he's really moved a long way. He struggles with quite a few things. I think with the older older people. It's really hard for them to get their head around some shit. And as long as he's not saying things <laughs> aggressively to people and he knows to keep his mouth shut and keep his opinions to himself, you know, I'd rather leave a few isms for the super old boys, let them have them. Like what's the point of, of talking to my father about transgender no, yes. things? You know, like oh, it's just that's not. That's how
1: I feel about my st- my father-in-law.
2: And he's a beautiful human being and he is soft and he knows when to be nice, but he's just like, what? <laughs> that? What? What? Dudes have dicks, you know? But they, they just
0: can't get their head around
2: that. <laughs> I know, and there's no disrespect to my to my dad, and he, he wouldn't say something like that actually. But he's, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's very, very, very soft, soft dude. But
1: do you worry about what the kind of things our kids are going to be saying to us that make us look like bigots? Sometimes I think like that. Mm. I think there's going to be some pretty whack ideas that our kids are going to come to us, and we're like, you know, the left wing of the world, but we're going to be like, yeah, right.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I don't know. Already, like my daughter will say, Well, you used to say X, and I'll go, Oh my God, you know, I don't really think that now. I, I, mm. I can't remember. I remember. And, you know, the way that she was brought up with fairy parties, and, and, you know, she was, it was very girly girly for her at the time. And I would have done things differently and given her more options for sure. But one of my first writing forays was was she was like bored with all the fairy and pony books when she was about twelve. So I tried to you know write a you know space getting shot through the head story with a with a girl girl hero you know which is <laughs> sort of sitting around somewhere <laughs> just to give her something that was sort of balanced no, a, it was- balanced it a bit. But no, it was it's only been sort of in the last ten years of my life that I've become sort of. Aware of it myself and therefore active in this area. And the ultimate thing is, yeah, that I can say is you don't have to be preaching at the street corner and no one likes to be that guy. You know, I want to have fun at parties, not tell people to shut up. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, so you don't want to be known as, as that person. You've got to have a balance, but somehow, you know, your own personal brand. And it's easy for me because, because of the books, the book I've written and, and the, the speaking I do on it is that no. There won't be any of that sort of discussion around him because he won't like it, and he'll say something, and it makes other people think about it. So your mere presence around the joint, yeah, you know, people have to go, uh oh, you know, here he comes, you know, watch out. But at least this
0: guy again. there's not
2: a lot of that in, in my life, and I'm lucky to work in a like I, I work, you know, by day in, a, in an agency, and it's really nice, and it's really very inclusive, and it's sort of one of the first places I've, I've worked that the men haven't sort of. Silently objectified, quietly objectified that she's hot in the kitchen. You know, there's actually literally none of that because that'd be a poor, it's our colleague had to. Like, it was just, it's not in the brain. If it's just not part of what's going on around you, that's a really super good start. Then you are an example to younger men around you, and certainly. Again, at work, I do have these conversations with with young guys who are sort of might be a brilliant young designer or videographer straight out of private school and then design school and then out of mummy's house in the eastern suburbs and and wanting to have a think about, you know, some of the attitudes to, to women they might have. Again, every time I say something out loud in the kitchen or pull them up on something, they'll want to have a chat about that. Great. And then to the point where I get policed if I say something, they go, oh, excuse me, author of Evolution of Man just said a shit thing, ha uh-huh, ha. Right, you know, go, all right, cheers.
1: It's such a really great thing to remind people that even though when you are the first person to call it out, you will get that sort of hate and that, you know, whatever, a bit of backlash, a bit of ruffled feathers. But you're creating a path and you might not see it at the time. It's
2: heavily policed. What's ironic about it, right, is you have to have bravery Mm -hmm. to do it, which is one of the traditional male sort of bloke things. Can I tell you a quick story about the man box? That was one of my questions. (laughs) So uh, this is an exercise uh, that I've done myself heaps of times, been done all around the world. And the remarkable thing about this is that it is incredibly consistent. So you just get a whiteboard, just draw a big box on it. Have you know a bunch of young men in the room having a discussion, and you're right, right? Tell me the words for the things that go inside the man box, and they go, oh, tough, strong, brave, leadership, entrepreneurial, I'm not afraid of anything, gets lots of checks, can like have sex all night if you have to, all sorts of things. Dude, 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 shit goes in there, and then you go, so what's on the outside? Uh, oh, weakness like soft and so you get all the empathy and the compassion and all those words are outside and so it is that thinking that's so deeply ingrained in them they know what those words are they know what it is to be a man and not to be a man by the time that you know it starts again as i say when they're when they're born they know what those words are, and that is a description of the society that we live in. So when someone tells you to be a man, you know damn well what to do, and it means not showing any emotion, it means not communicating, it means not saying, you know, I feel bad or I feel this. It means being stoic and pushing through, and right at the end of that thinking is our suicide numbers. You know, three times the numbers of of women every day is our domestic violence numbers. You know, there is a website called Counting Dead Women. Imagine there has to be a website called Counting Fucking Dead Women. Unbelievable, but there is. I just always look it up for our chat. So, so far in 2023, we're at 16 women, which I think is behind one a week, which we usually are. Mm, But uh, for 2022, there was 56 43 in 2021, dipped under, about 62 in 2020. So consistently, you know, across the, since numbers have started properly, there's uh, it's been one woman a week killed in Australia by her partner or former partner. So from the performance of being a man, it's a life or death discussion. It absolutely really is. It m- removes us from happiness as well. There is the longest longitudinal study in the world about human happiness called the Harvard Study of Human Development. I hope I've got that right. It's been going for over 80 years, and that's really unusual because they usually fall over because of lack of funding or what the university wants to do shifts or whatever. But this has had four directors of 20 years each. They started interviewing people on the docks and up on the hills in Boston. I think it included JFK Jr., two separate cohorts of men, and interviewed them and did all sorts of weird things at the start, like measured their heads and stuff, but they interviewed them every year about what stage in life they were at, what was happening, and right to the point that they died. So they had the memories and the records of exactly what these guys said so they could actually, it wasn't memory, it was just apples and apples, so it was a real scientific study. The last director of the study wrote a book and it's called Relationships, Relationships, Relationships. Because on their deathbeds, those guys were really clear about the whole situation. The only thing that mattered in life was not your BMW, was not your suit, was not your house, was not your job. It was the quality of the relationships and the communications that you had with the people around you. And if you didn't have that, you died sooner and you died unhappy. If you had that, you died an absolutely happy human being and well done to you. And a lot of them- And you lived longer, yep. Yeah, as they went, the heavy drinkers never did very well, which is a little sign to a little, little, a little, little <laughs> shout out to right. everybody. That's super interesting. And to me, you know, like I'm a very rational person, I think. And so I, I approach this from a very scientific perspective and numbers are showing us terrible things, you know. And if you look, but I look as a, as a professional marketer and advertiser as well and, and writer, if I look at the world, it is soaked. In gender, and I can absolutely see why young people are going, you know what? I screw you all. I'm a they, or I will always be a they, or work my shit out, or whatever. But stop telling me what the hell is going on because I
0: do not feel that. Well, people that raise their children without a gender to start with. When I first heard of that theory, I was like, it's so bizarre. Like, well, I kind of get it. Yeah because they don't want all the externals and people, you know, he, she and, yeah, I get it.
2: We live in a really fast-moving society and I think it's it's really disturbing for some people they are just not coping with the speed of change and I think the other other brand of people are going, right, yeah, here we go. let's We're going somewhere interesting, which is why you get, you know, the rise of Andrew Tate's, the rise of your Trumps and, like, the time, at the moment anything positive yeah. happens, like, everyone's, like, tearing it down, like, why should a marginalised people get a voice to parliament? I hate that. Like, what, mm-hmm. what the
1: hell? I know. I was just sitting here thinking, I bet Phil is the best husband. But then my thoughts went, no, I bet because he talks about things like this and is so educated on things like this that he's actually the worst husband. What kind of a uh, partner? Okay. I know you're not a yeah. husband. What kind of yeah, a yeah, partner. Okay, lover um, are you? <laughs>
2: uh, I have been accused of, of using my CEO voice. <laughs> so in conversations being, you know, very, Bossy. <laughs> like, I, my partner's never felt physically scared of me, but my God, she doesn't want to get into a fight about doesn't want to go there. You know, something that I've, some small thing that I feel really passionate about. But,
1: but we get corporate in relationships.
2: Yeah. But the other thing is, I get very, very stubborn. So there was one thing the other night. For example, it's always the same fight, and our fight is, is pretty much you don't love me enough, you're not paying me enough enough attention. When you really break it down, but anyway, this is not about that. Uh, there was something about the, there was a stool I'd left out in the backyard that apparently was going to give access to robbers, and so I did. And I sort of got told off for leaving something, and I was just like, Nah, I was just doing a plant. I don't even know. Did you remember putting that there? No, I don't. And it ended up with me throwing all the stools into the backyard, saying, so "I'll oh, put stools in the backyard if I bloody well to." Like, <laughs> so, so we had – well, you, you idiot, you're throwing stools in the back garden. So we have all sorts of... You know,
1: and you know she's texting her friends going, so Phil actually are. wants robbers to come in. <laughs> such,
2: an, such an idiot. We've been together for 12 years and we've gotten really good at navigating that. And I think think at the start she was like, she said, she said, geez, it's like being in a relationship with Dr. Phil because I'm always like, so what do you think about that? And how's that? She's like, oh, <laughs> my that God, like, can you shut up?
0: <laughs> <laughs> my husband's a, a beautiful man. He's a social worker. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, let's just drop the social worker hat and not talk about it i actually just don't want to for once this is funny phil like when um con said you were coming on i was like looking for the book and i'd been looking for it online and then i thought i was trying to get an audio book and i mentioned it to my husband he goes i've got that book and i was like (laughs) (laughs) so i went over to the bookshelf he has got so many books similar to yours (laughs) I sent a photo con, it's so funny. But he didn't actually have yours, he had every other one. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, it was was funny, (laughs) he had all of them.
1: Moving on, just before we go to your new book, I was wondering is there a short way that you can tell us who did kill the Australian magazine industry? uh
2: yes i can uh it was not just the internet it was our response to that basically like i was part of it like we knew it was coming but it wasn't my problem my problem was selling magazines and making money that month my problem was not having to conversations about some clicks or something with microsoft in the future what whatever and we were making heaps of money so if you're making 500 million a year on one title it doesn't really matter if it dips you know, if you're still making four fifty next year. But if you're only making fifty million with the title, then it really, really matters if suddenly you're not. And so those problems for for when we could first see them are way out in the future and then so the brands that have done well like gq doesn't even exist as a printed magazine i think we've just done another one but for a long time it didn't exist as a printed magazine in Australia. but it did exist as a brand so it existed um as an affiliate partner with all sorts of cool stuff and then, then you can buy shoes and it sends you an edm these new belts are out how about these watches so it really still spoke to this community Of people who are interested in stuff, the GQ is just not even for men anymore. It's for people of a certain mindset interested in a certain type of thing. So that brand's super, you know, developed, changed with the times, and is is doing really well. And there's been others that that have, you know, the the sort of the more general sort of women's magazines and the sort of our Marie Claire category that were, you know, Bibles back in the day, but just have become completely irrelevant. So heaps and heaps of people lost their jobs. And then just the merger of Pacific Magazines and ACP, Yeah, you know, it was an absolute bloodbath and it was a heat of COVID and people were just being laid off after putting 12 years into a title and just being told, no, I'm sorry, no more. you have to go and take your luck out there with hundreds of other people looking to do the same thing. So it was a really super hard time for the magazine industry, no doubt.
1: It actually really resonates with me because I was looking at my brand, I have a clothing brand, looking at why I feel like I don't have that brand presence everything's really reliant on me, but my job's always been to design the clothes and make the money. And so if the money's coming in, the money's good. I can't focus on other things, but recently someone's come in and said to me, no, you actually need to be investing in the brand rather than the money. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's, and yeah, it makes total sense.
2: This is a separate discussion from this now, but that's sort of brand stuff is exactly what I do professionally. So, so yeah, I can't tell you how important I think it is. And I realised. I remember it was. I was way back. I was working for ACP, and I was editor of Woman's Day. We went on a went on a two day course, and halfway through, I just absolutely got it. And went, oh shit! I'm not magazine editor. I'm a custodian of this, this mm. brand, and this brand means something in people's heads beyond, you know, it's how you answer the phone. It's it's your language. It's what everything looks like. It's what we don't do. You know, um, uh, Disney's brand is family fun. Disney is never going to do a line of porn, or it will do it in, a, mm. in its own different mm. way. Mm. That ain't, you know, that doesn't fit through that filter. Um, Nike's isn't just do it. Nike's is authentic athletic performance. You know, if Nike make a car, you can see it in your head because that's how our brand works. Mm. Anyway, mm. wow, well, I, that's wide ranging. <laughs> <a wide-ranging>
1: <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. The Revolution of Man is still available in bookshops. Yeah, yeah, it is. And you can get it online. I think if you
2: Google it, you can you can yep. still order it. I don't think it's on prominent display. It's sort of down the back and, you know. You've got to ask but, the uh,
1: people that work there. Ask the <laughs> nice people
2: for sure. So, no, thanks for the plug, Con. And I hope everything's going well for you, hey.
1: Thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah. It is. It's awesome this cool. year, <laughs> finally. I <laughs> know.
2: Uh, well, it's like that for everyone, but to tell you. Yeah,
1: yeah. Take care. Give Jada love. Phil. Shall do.
2: Thanks for listening to another episode of To Be Frank. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, be sure to click follow. And leaving a review helps others find the podcast. Join us next time as we explore more interesting
1: topics and people from all over the world.